Howdy. My name is Karok Ray, and I am the director of the Mays Innovation Research Center. Thank you for joining us. Uh, this is our talk show, Innovation Matters. I'm delighted to welcome Catherine Flax to the show today and our first recording in the Mays uh, Business School. And uh, today we're here to, uh, to welcome Catherine, to encourage his, her son to, to come to a and Yes. <laughs> uh, and to hear about her, her really interesting career and her time at Texas A&M and what it meant for her afterwards. So Catherine, welcome. Thank you. I'm uh, delighted to be here. Great. Fa fabulous. So uh, let's, let's just tell, you know, as we always do, just uh, tell us a little bit about your life story, where you were where you were born and raised and how you came to Aggieland. Sure. Um, well, I was born in Rhode Island, uh, grew up in Massachusetts, and came to Texas A&M in 1982, uh, which is an amazing 40 years ago. Uh -huh. um, and I came actually as an engineering major, not knowing very much about what that really meant at the time. I knew I liked math, uh, and so that was pretty much all I knew about that. And when I got here, realized pretty quickly that that was probably not my, my future. So I switched uh -huh. over to economics um, and ended up um, working on Wall Street for probably about 30 years, which is wow. really what I do now. Wow, great. Yeah. Where, where in Massachusetts did you grow up? Newton. Oh, great. Okay, yeah. great. I grew up in Andover, so I know. I know. How, did I, how did I not know that? <laughs> yeah, we didn't mention that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, 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 okay. yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. So, um, so economics, that's great. So, uh, and did you prefer micro macroeconomics? You have a, a uh, yeah, definitely micro yeah. Uh, financial engineering was kind of uh -huh. really where I was kind of so I minored in finance, um, did a lot of econometrics when yeah. I was here. And then I, I did go to grad school um, uh -huh. after A&M. Uh -huh. a, a bit of that was just sort of not knowing exactly what I wanted to do. Um, right. So I went to Brown um, and again, Great. still studied economics, but but very much a financial engineering kind of focus. Okay, okay, awesome. Now, tell us about your time in Wall Street. I mean, I guess uh, maybe unpack those 30 years sure. for Sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, most of it was, has been sales and trading focused. Uh -huh. um, worked at a couple of big firms like Morgan Stanley and yeah. JP Morgan. Um, commodities, sales and trading mostly. Yep. Um, yep. And later on, I ended up running um, commodities with foreign exchange and emerging market sales and trading. Um, love markets. Uh, really right. a lot of fun. But right. I think for me, commodities and particularly the energy commodities are really interesting. Uh, we use them every day. And yeah. so it's something you can talk to your grandmother about, whereas, you know, interest rate derivatives, you can probably go a long time without talking to anybody about that. So. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So really have loved that. Um, and uh, then about five years ago, became very, very interested um, in the intersection of technology and markets. Right, right. Um, and that's, I mean, it was a growing interest, but it became kind of acute. I sat on the board of a blockchain company uh -huh. um, and did a variety of other things. And uh, I think that has really morphed into a lot of the work that I'm doing right now, which is more private equity and venture capital focused. Okay, great, great, great. So you sort of shifted into technology five years ago or so. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, will, I will say, yeah, exactly. So, yeah. I, I, you know, even I think having that financial engineering focus originally meant that I was always sort of dabbling in coding and, yeah. and things like that. And, and my, my focus, even though, you know, at various points in time, I had very client-facing roles, yeah, yeah. there was always a, a quantitative angle to that. Um, right. I just feel like it's a good way to understand the world. So it was always sort of simmering in the background, but it, it definitely became more um, of a focus in the last five years. I'm still not a technologist, to be clear. Like sure, that is definitely sure. not what's going on. Sure, um, but sure. I think it's just an important aspect of how these markets are developing. Now, tell me about your transition from Texas A&M to Wall Street. Uh, what was uh, what was it like coming from uh, from sort of Aggieland, moving to New York City? Sure. I mean, you grew up in, in, in the East Coast anyway, so you sort of know a little bit. 
yes. the culture. Sure. And yeah. and I think the other thing for me, and you know, different time, of course. Yeah. Um, so then there was no internet and all the things uh -huh. that are give us information today was not the way that we got information back in the day. And so I didn't really know anybody who had ever worked on Wall Street. It wasn't yeah. where my family had come from or anything like that. And so it was a very circuitous route to get uh -huh. there. Um, uh -huh. I ended up, so as I said, went to grad school, um, did a couple other things before going to Wall Street. Um, I taught at University of Nebraska for a little while. Uh -huh. I definitely knew that was not my future, um, <laughs> not a teacher of anything. Uh -huh. um, uh -huh. And um, I issued municipal bonds for a little while, which was pretty interesting, um, but that was with the municipality. Uh, yeah. And so what I learned is that that doesn't pay particularly well. And right. as a, as a uh, I had two kids at the time. I have three now, but right. um, you know, just wanting to send my kids to school and things like that. I started to look around for other things, and at that time, I was actually in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and there was a trading floor that was um, just starting there, right. focused on commodities. And I knew I knew nothing about oil and gas or anything like right, that, right. but I, but I had a pretty decent background in derivatives pricing, and so uh -huh. I started on that trading floor um, and did that for about three years, and then moved actually to New York. Okay, great. Great. Now, in that thirty years, can you tell us what was the 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 best experience, the best job you had, if you could say there was one? Well, I, I have to. I mean, and this is just maybe a reflection, also more of my personality than anything else. But what I'm doing right now, yeah. I would say, is what I'm enjoying okay. the most. Um, okay. And part. So, what I'm really focused on right now is um, I'm the president in a private equity firm focused on upstream oil and gas. Uh -huh. uh, but again, there's a big technology focus. But in addition, I sit on a lot of boards, um, okay. and most of them are also at the intersection of energy and technology. Right. And so, what I really like about now is. Uh, although a little too busy, um, uh -huh. I'm learning so much right. all the time. And right. so to me, that's the key to, to enjoying what you're doing. Right, right, right. Okay, now let's let's do a, a little bit of a deep dive. So into the, uh, say, on the energy side. Mm -hmm. So that seems like that's a common theme through, through, it, your, it kind of is, through, yes. your, through your career. Yeah. Uh, tell us on technology, what, what are you seeing now in terms of uh, latest trends or, or big opportunities uh, in, in, in energy right now on the, on, and in intersection with technology. Absolutely. So um, we do have a big focus on clean tech and there's definitely so much happening in how to think about uh, ESG related or, or kind of cleaning up the world of oil and gas, but not as a cost, as a profit center. Uh -huh. um, and so there really are ways, whether it's in more advanced and continuous methane detection, um, whether it's in, again, more advanced ways to do carbon sequestration, um, ways to do plugging and abandonment of wells that is much cheaper and much more sustainable in the long run, um, that are, are things that have historically been issues or problems for the industry, uh -huh. but now can really be leveraged um, to both do things just smarter, better, cheaper, but also uh, potentially to make more money. Okay. Okay, great. Uh, before early, we talked about a little bit about uh, Bitcoin mining. Yes. I uh, wanted to just bring everyone up to speed. So uh, one of the things that the Mays Innovation Research Center does is we focus on several areas, uh, and Bitcoin is one of them. We have several uh, events uh, all year round, uh, panel discussions. We bring in uh, experts. So Texas is actually a big hub for, a huge hub for Bitcoin. Totally. If not the, the hub, the, the worldwide hub. Uh, right. After the China crackdowns, a lot of those miners have moved over to uh, to Texas. And Absolutely. Now, not just Texas, actually College Station. Within an, a half an hour to 45 minutes of College Station, the, right in Rockdale are some of the biggest uh, Bitcoin miners. Well, the key for Bitcoin mining is inexpensive energy, right. right? I mean, that's the thing. And so when all of those miners left China, then what they were is on the search for cheapest energy possible. Right. Um, and so we just did a project um, in South Dakota 
with some abandoned wells, gas uh -huh, wells, where uh -huh. essentially the, the the developer of those wells had gone bankrupt, and so the gathering lines had never really been built. So the well, the the gas was stranded there. Yeah. The state of South Dakota was going to just have to plug the wells. Yeah. So we offered to do that for them, uh -huh, um, but uh -huh. to use the gas first. And uh -huh, so it was uh -huh. essentially an extremely inexpensive way to to get access to gas and and to mine lots of Bitcoin. So oh, that's great. very, very cool. That's and cool. so it's definitely part of, of our, uh, the work that we do as yeah. well. Um, and, and it really, it's, it, that's the equation is, is where do you find the least expensive energy? That's right. Do you see that area growing over time? That I, you know, it's, it's very interesting. So I think there's a, there's a number of competing factors, which uh -huh. means it's going to be interesting to see how it all shakes out. Yeah. Um, so first of all, you know, I think it's how do you find not just inexpensive energy, but inexpensive energy that you can somewhat rely on in yeah. terms of the, the, you know, stability of, of the flow of energy. And so I think, in some haste, some of the Bitcoin miners that have gone up haven't necessarily been sure. as you know with as a reliable source of energy. Um, and I think, as you guys know, that you know there's the the, the difficulty of, of mining Bitcoin ebbs yeah. and flows, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. and then the expense also, right? Yeah. And so sometimes those things are moving in the same direction, and sometimes they they diverge. Right. Um, and so as things become less attractive, then I think it, it slows things down in terms of are people really investing in this space? We're in one of those moments right now, yeah. um, but it's not going to last. It always it always reverts at some point. So right. I do think that the the interest level continues to be very very, very strong. And so I think people continue to look, you know, for, for where do they find those inexpensive sources. Um, and then, of course, we're coming up on the, the halving of, of, yeah, of, of yeah. the Bitcoin. So to yeah. see what's really going to happen at that point That's is something right. people are keeping their eye on a lot, too. And to be clear, we're not in the business of really gambling on Bitcoin prices. So we do hedge uh -huh. our, our uh -huh. Bitcoin exposure. I see. I see. That's great. If you are curious, you go on our YouTube channel, you'll see a lot of our mining my panels. We did a big mining panel about a month ago, and cool. we're doing a conference on Bitcoin in April, April 29th, and we will probably do a, a field trip to the the, the Rockdale. That's uh, fantastic. Yeah. That's really cool. That's right. They're trying to get some mining rigs up on the Relis campus, which is eight miles north of here. Fantastic. Big cyber security. Yes. Data, data enclave, so. That's awesome. Yeah. That's great. No, yeah. I think, look, I mean, the thing is when, when you start to see countries, you know, having Bitcoin be their currency right. and things like that, it's very difficult to imagine putting that genie back in the bottle. So, yeah, I mean, I think, right. I do think cryptocurrency is here to stay. Yeah. And then it's more a question of which currencies are going to dominate and where's the liquidity going to be and and then you have all of these things like nfts and things like that as you know i'm not as interested in that sure. personally but that doesn't me mean either. they're not real <laughs> <laughs> yes, right. yeah so tell me about your so tell me you said you were on the board of a blockchain startup uh, yeah so i'd not need longer but I, uh, that was a bit of kind of what got me initially interested um it was actually my former boss when i was at jp morgan when she left she went to be the CEO of a, a company called Digital Asset Holdings, which uh -huh. is still one of the, the bigger blockchain companies, uh -huh. not crypto focused, um, uh -huh. but really uh -huh. just more you know, blockchain infrastructure focused. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. And um, most of the big Wall Street firms invested in digital assets. Yeah. And, and um, I was at BNP Paribas at the time. We made an investment and they asked me to sit on the board. I see. I see. Okay. So it was good, okay. great learning for me. Oh, that's great. Yeah. That's great. So I'm curious. So, so we have some Aggie friends. Uh, I don't know if you Andy Elwood. He's of course, a, I know Andy. Yes. <laughs> so Andy, Andy actually gave a, we we got kind of have a little a debate last year on mm. Zoom. Uh, he's very much embedded in New York City. Yes, uh, and very much in the crypto space. Yes, and and here in Texas, uh, we're kind of all Bitcoin all the time. Mm -hmm. And so uh, it's interesting to see those two different perspectives. Tell us, tell us what uh, how would you see uh, in being in New York City about. The crypto space broadly. Yeah, what's well, interesting, and I and I know certainly, you know, back when I was on the digital asset board, there was really a theme 
And I think a bit of it was how to play defense if you're a big financial institution uh-huh. trying to not raise the eyebrows of regulators. Yeah. And so you heard a lot people saying like, oh, I'm super interested in blockchain, but not at all cryptocurrency. Uh-huh. And I think that that was just because it felt dodgy to a uh-huh. lot of people. And uh-huh. they were like, oh, well, what bad things are happening? People buying in crypto as if bad things don't happen with people buying things in dollars, by right, the way. Right, anyway, right, right. Um, and so I think it was, it was more just trying to um, make sure that people knew that no, we're on the up and up. I think now it's a very different situation. It, you know, all the major banks are actually quite involved in crypto, right. and so I think that there's now, e- even in the last two years, just a real acknowledgement that this is a real thing. It's a real yeah. currency. It's here to stay. So I do think that it, you know it's changing a lot. Okay. Okay. Good. Good. Well, to, to me, that's good news. Yeah, I, mean, I, I think so too. I, I think that kind of innovation is great. Yeah, agreed. Uh, tell me about um, your, you. You said you also do some some. Investments in space. Uh, yeah, can you tell us about how that's coming along. Yeah, no, and, and I mean to be clear, I am no expert at all. But um, I am an investor in uh, in a venture capital company called Astor Perkins, um, and and their focus is um, space defense and survival. And and I do this because I learn a ton. Uh, yeah. It's super interesting, and otherwise I wouldn't really have the opportunity to get that deep into some of these innovations that are happening. Um, but the space one is something I find really, really interesting. Um, also a little perplexing at times. You uh-huh, know, uh-huh. I, I, there was a, a whole presentation that I received um, in that capacity about um, tourism, space tourism. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And and I, I totally get it. It's happening. There's a lot of investment being made in it. It's just not something that I'm super eager to do. Um, uh-huh. right, but, right, 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 you know, right. I guess to each their own. But but for me, like, you know, one of the things that, that we were talking about earlier that I find really interesting is just the logistics aspect sure, of this. Sure. Because obviously there are so many things um, that are happening in space. And so like in particular, this company um, that, that we've invested in is a logistics company that's actually just the one that that takes the satellites, those those last miles and right. places them where they need to go. And, and frankly, I just hadn't ever thought about that being a thing. And then when you realize, of course, there's satellites being put up every right, day and, right. and you can't just fling them up there. They have to yeah. actually be, you know, this is this is an actual process. So just the learning about that, I think, is really exciting. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and I just feel like um, there's so much happening in the world right now, and we see, you know, headlines on the news. But to have that opportunity to just like peel it back a little bit more and understand why is this relevant or important, right, or right. how is it going to impact my life, and right, right, feel a little right. bit that way about quantum computing. I've sat through a lot of seminars now yeah. on it. Yeah. Again, no expert at all, uh-huh, uh-huh. but it's just interesting to consider if our computing power could be multiplied that much, right. what would that mean for us as human beings? Yeah, uh, and yeah. so that to me is really interesting stuff to think about. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, space is actually an interesting topic for us. Uh, this is an area our center is going to get into, partly because Texas A&M is making, mean, we've always had a very good aerospace department. Right. Space has always been a big industry in Texas with yes. NASA and now with the two leading private space companies here. Right. Um, but the university is now making a big push to make make sure that uh, space is, is interdisciplinary. It's across the whole campus. And a lot, really, exactly what you say, a lot, I mean, it's a whole, this there's a whole economy of, of what happens up in space and lower low Earth orbit and... Uh, well, exactly. You know, like, and I think to your point, that, that this this multidisciplinary way of thinking about this is super important because I think, you know, people like me who maybe are like business focused, think about things like space historically as either Star Trek or something <laughs> that is just for, you know, deep scientists. Yeah, yeah. And the reality is, is that as things like space tourism evolve or right. even more just work that's being done up there... All of the infrastructure that has to come up around it means that there's a whole lot of other industries, and all those industries need accountants, yeah. and they need marketing people, sure, and they yeah. need they need everything that normal companies need. And yeah, so there's yeah. a there's an opportunity 
almost for everybody to get involved no matter what they do. So just learning about that is important. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly right. And so I think over time we'll have more programming on space and also the students here will have will have more space specific uh, events. We're running a a, a 3D printing uh, design competition this year where the students are going to design a structure that can be 3D printed on the moon. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. So, So So there's a company in Austin founded by Aggies called Icon. And they built the largest, world's largest 3D printer that prints houses. And they have a division, which is their off-world division, which is uh, essentially going to build the lunar the lunar t- uh, housing. <laughs> because Amazing. you're not going to ship wood to the moon. You're going to use the lunar materials. Right, right, exactly. And so uh, this project is to help. Uh, we're working with that company and also uh, some other friends on campus. To, it's incredible. To, yeah, it really is. Well, yeah. and the other thing too that I find really amazing is companies that I know, like Toyota, that everybody knows as a car company, they're investing a ton right. in in uh, terraforming planets. And the only reason I even know that word is because I'm a huge Star Trek nerd. But I thought that that wasn't <laughs> a thing until now. They're actually like that's what they're doing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so it's it's kind of mind boggling to think right. that this is becoming an actual reality. That's right. That's right. It's amazing how science fiction really has become reality. Well, I mean, if you really are yeah. into Star Trek, then yeah. you see, apart from the ability to beam people. Yeah. Pretty much everything we else everything that was else. everything else the has iPad, been done. Right? It came everything, yeah, that's everything. Right. I mean, that's the whole right. video conferencing, yeah, the whole yeah. communicator thing. Yeah, 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 everything yeah. else is there. I mean, it, 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 the three D printing really. Yeah, I mean, yeah, all, exactly all of right. it is, that's is exactly there. Right. It's 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 really incredible. We just need teleportation. That's, that's it. The last, that's We're the so last, close. Just yeah. quantum computing can help us with that because it needs it's a lot of computing power. That's right. Yeah. That's right. One thing we try to do on this talk show is to we want our ultimate audience are students and. And we want to expand the opportunities for our students Great. and get them to open their 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 minds and to to, uh, to do things that they never have dreamed before. Uh, let, I want to kind of drill down into uh, the skills that you learned at A and M, yep, and compare that to the skills that you developed in the career in the workforce, yep. or that you uh, kind of acquired. And how, uh, just kind of tell us about those two. I mean, I know okay. things have changed a lot since you graduated, but yes. but still, what what uh, advice would you give to uh, to the next generation for uh, skills that they should, that are not taught in class, you know, that they could and should develop? Sure. I mean, I think for me, when I think back on my experience at AM, one of the things that I really remember, particularly in my freshman year, was feeling very uncomfortable. Uh-huh. I mean, I had grown up in Massachusetts. I had never stepped foot in Texas until literally my first day of class here. Yeah. Um, I didn't really know much about AM and its culture. I right. never knew anybody who had gone here. And I was in the Corps of Cadets, which I didn't know much about, but I just wow. was like, oh, that looks like fun. Wow. I guess I'll do that. Uh-huh. Um, and, and it was a phenomenal experience. Wow. But I, what I learned at my time at AM is Making yourself uncomfortable can also feel not great in the moment, uh-huh. but you get so much growth out of that. Uh-huh. And I think uh-huh. as, as human beings, we're so instinctively looking to be comfortable. Yeah. But if we can keep pushing ourselves to be uncomfortable, yeah. then you can just learn so much. And right. and part of it is going to places that you've never been before and meeting right. people that are different from you and things right. like that, which is a huge part of what happened to me when I came to a and right, right. um, But then I think continuing to find ways to put yourself in, in uncomfortable situations, um, I think has been a, sort of a hallmark for me of my career as yeah. well. Um, and, and looking for those moments where when you feel like, oh, okay, now I'm comfortable, Instead of saying like, oh, that's good, have, a, have like a little light that goes off that says, no, now you need to push yourself uh, right. to the next thing. And so that's to right. me, that's a really big deal. Okay. Okay. Uh, now on the curriculum side, your your education and economics, how, do you feel like that served you well? Do you feel like there could have been things that, that 
it could have taught taught you differently, or would you have supplemented with a, a different major? Or so you know, it's interesting when I look back at my time at A and M. The definitely the programming classes that I took served me extremely well. I had no idea leaving. Uh-huh that when I would go to Wall Street, uh-huh. that I would spend a fair amount of time actually do, I mean, I was never a programmer, but yeah. being on the desk, if you're on a trading uh-huh. desk, uh-huh. Uh-huh. you're gonna wanna automate things. And, and I, yeah, I built a lot of big models and things like that that really wouldn't have worked properly if I didn't have any programming skills. Right. So I had no idea that right. that was gonna really be such a help as it was. Um, and also I minored in finance and the the more technical like options valuations classes and things uh-huh. like that, again, I had no idea when I took them that yeah. those were gonna be a huge part of what I was gonna do professionally, but I thought they were really, really interesting. And so I think that um, what served me really well was the I had probably a little bit more of a technical focus um, than maybe the average economic student at the time uh-huh, did, uh-huh. and that was really, really helpful. Okay. I think what I see kids now, because I do a lot you know, with Mays and, and, and particularly Aggies on Wall Street, yeah. there's so much exposure that the kids have now to what are the different jobs and what are the skills that you need for the different jobs. Right. I definitely didn't have that when uh-huh, I was here, uh-huh, so uh-huh. I had no idea what a job on Wall Street would entail or what you right. would need to do to prepare for it or anything like that. So that for me was very much trial and error and just you know, kind of like finding my way. Right. Um, and so I, I, I'm, and you can see now that the kids, because they have that information, they're able to position themselves so much more aggressively earlier on, see, which is I great. See. Now, would you also tell kids, uh, essentially, let me let me try to interpret what you're saying. Would you encourage them to to maybe go that extra mile to build up their technical skills? Hundred percent, hundred percent, even even more so now than it was yeah. then, right? Yeah. And so. Because so much of what's happening in the world now is is focused on technology, and again, it's not because you want to be a technologist. It's not because that's what you're focused on professionally. Right. As much as it's about language and yeah. being able to really understand how to interact with people who are speaking a different language. And so, like as you know, I, there was a time that I ran. Um, I was the CEO of an artificial intelligence um, company. Yeah, and I'm certainly not an expert in artificial intelligence, but taking just a couple classes right. um, just to be able to know this is what they mean when they yeah, say that yeah. really goes such a long way. And similarly with blockchain, yeah, you know, yeah, really yeah. being conversant in that and understanding that. And frankly, almost anything, you know, uh, the work that I do now in upstream oil and gas, there's a lot of very technical aspects to that as well. And, uh-huh. and I'm not a, uh-huh. a petroleum engineer, right. but you still need to know enough to be able to understand what they're talking about. And so just always kind of trying to figure out where do you find that technical information right, and right. get conversant in it. Okay, so now I'm going to play devil's advocate. So let's say I'm a kid, I'm a, I'm a business student or, a, or an economics major listening to you mm-hmm. saying, I could never, never supervise a, a, a company full of technical people or, or advise a, a kind of a, a technical board. How, what advice would you give to them? How do they, how do they build that confidence? Sure. Yeah. Well, I think one of the things is to really take a look at leaders that you admire and recognize that almost always they're going to be running companies where they couldn't possibly be experts in all of the things. I mean, somebody I admire, for instance, Jamie Dimon, CEO yeah. of J.P. Morgan, and you know, I worked for him, and I think very highly of him. Yeah. Um, he of course doesn't know. Right. You know what, ninety percent of the people in the company do from sure. the perspective of he couldn't sit in their seat. Right. But you know he he takes the time he's listened, and I think the other thing on the point of you know what are things that people should focus on learning, 
that the development of real curiosity yeah. is so important because if you're curious, you ask the questions, you yeah. can kind of understand where people are coming from and not being afraid to look stupid and yeah. ask the stupid question. Yeah. And just, so I'll give you another example real quick. Um, I sit on the board of the independent system operator for the um, power grid of New England. Uh -huh. So as you know, here in Texas, there were some real situations last right. winter. Right. Um, so we have the same sort of issues that, that face New England. I'm not an electrical engineer. I yeah. don't really understand exactly how a power grid works, but I've done a lot of work in and around that in right. markets um, right. for many, many years. So a big part of the fun uh -huh. of being on that board is you get to learn, sure. but only if you're willing to ask the questions because half the people in the room already know this stuff. That's right. So you have to be willing to say like, okay, I'm going to be stupid here for a minute and you have to <laughs> yeah, like yeah. dumb it down for me and explain. And if you're okay with doing that, yeah, you're going to yeah. learn a ton. Exactly right. That's how I feel when I talk to my kids in Aggie Robotics. <laughs> they, exactly. are, they are, uh, they know way more than I do. Yeah. So, and, and that's the yeah. cool thing, right? They, yeah. well, none of us are ever going to get to the bottom of everything. Yeah. And so it's a question of, can you just dig deep enough to, to really begin to learn? And then it's a journey. Right. The whole thing is a journey. Right. Uh, let me ask you about small company versus large company. You've worked in both. Uh, yes. What are your opinions, thoughts, reflections? I, I, I personally have enjoyed both a lot. And I really do feel like there's value in having both experiences. Uh -huh. um, you know, there's, there's really fun things about working in small companies where you can move quickly, you can make a lot of decisions. Um, but you're never going to have the resources that you have yeah. in the big companies um, yeah. where you can just, you know, really, really do. I mean, I mean you kind of see it with a campus like AM is huge. Right. You have tremendous resources. It's kind of right. like a big company. Right. Um, right. And so, but I think there's nice things about experiencing both okay. in, in a career. And I, similarly, I almost tell every student that I come in contact with too, having an overseas experience as yeah. well is yeah. something that I really recommend. Because yeah. even if, you th if you've traveled a lot, it's not the same as living somewhere for and sure. experiencing the business ex you know, environment there. For sure. For sure. Uh, now, last question I want to ask you. Uh, tell me, kind of the unique, unique. What's unique about you is you've been successful both as a woman and as a mom in in Wall Street, which traditionally has been very, very male dominated. What, what, uh, what, what? I guess what tips, advice would you have to young women in uh, at A and M and beyond? Uh, you know, I, I in the nicest possible way, I never really thought of my coworkers as men uh -huh. um, or women. Um, they're just my coworkers, and right. and I kind of think that. Not obsessing about you know how you're different in any way, but just trying to think about what are the ways that you can connect with people because people are people. And one of the things I think is awesome about Wall Street is that it's very much a meritocracy. So right. you know if you show up and you do a good job, then you get to move forward, and that's the way it works. It's right. kind of it's kind of you know what have you done for me lately a little bit, but right. it's also right. you know it's a performance culture. And so if you like that, then you'll do well. Um, and so I think kind of, you know giving people the benefit of the doubt and just trying to get to know people as people is is just you know the best way to do it, I think. Fantastic, fantastic. So, well, th Catherine, I, we're just about out of time. I just wanted to thank you once again for taking the time to sit down with us. Uh, this is very interesting. A, you've had a, a really interesting career, a wide variety of experience, and uh, we do hope to see you more often on campus so uh, when your son hopefully enrolls soon. Hope so. All right, thank you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Thank you.